Well, good morning again, and uh, it's good to be with you sharing God's Word together. Over the last three weeks, we've been continuing our series, Made for Mission. And today we're going to look at a third section. Week one with Kareen, we looked at We Are All Called. And week two, we looked with Heather at What's My Mission. And today we're going to look at What's My Message. What do I actually say while living in mission. Um, some of you may know, many of you may not, that uh, earlier in the year I signed up to work for the National Census around the March the 21st was the census. And I signed up to work locally thinking I'll be in Durham or Washington and ended up in North Wales. And one day um, I had to go to a farmhouse that was down a big long dirt track uh, I only had my little car with us. I thought the suspension was going to collapse at any time. Uh, but I got to the end of the track and knocked at the farmhouse door and this big burly farmer came to the door and started talking to me. But there was a problem in the communication and that he spoke in a different language. I hadn't a clue what he was saying. He spoke to me in Welsh. I think it was Welsh. It was Welsh. And I just want to highlight how that created a problem. I couldn't communicate with him. He didn't want to communicate with me in English. So what I was meant to do didn't actually take place. And often with mission, we can have that fear that we haven't got the right words to say. We haven't got the language to communicate. And today I just want to try and help us understand that God calls us to use what we have in all situations and God equips us to deal in any mission, potential mission situation. And I want us to look at our Bibles and I want us to read two aspects of a story. We find it in Mark 5 and in Luke 8. So I'm going to dot between the two. So if you've got your Bibles and you'd like to find Mark chapter 5, we're going to begin at verse 1. And um, Mark chapter 5, verse 1 says this. They went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Now, that they went across the Sea of Galilee is hugely significant. You see, on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, there was a group of non-Jews living there. It all traced back to the Old Testament time when the Israelites did not complete their job of clearing out all of the people from the promised land that God had commanded them to. There were these descendants of those people that they let stay. And young Jewish boys did not travel to the other side of the lake because of the fear of these people. Now, most people believe, most scholars believe that the disciples were somewhere around 15 to 17 year old. So here was Jesus, like the sort of youth pastor, taking them in to a place of danger or uncertainty. And as soon as they got near and began to get out of the boat, a man who was demon possessed approaches them. Not only that, he had no clothes on. The disciples were thinking, 
This place is worse than we thought. I bet everybody here is like this. Back on the boat, Jesus didn't react that way. So let's just check out what happens next. To do that, we're going to look in Mark 5, verses 3 to 5. This man lived in the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he'd often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart, broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Can you just imagine what this guy looked like? The state of his body, the, you know, the tears where he ripped the chains off, where he cut himself with stones. Uh, there'd be nobody caring for him. He probably didn't wash himself. Yeah. He, he was in an awful state. And he'd been rejected by people. Now, we've got to remember that just because someone has rejected God doesn't mean that they will this time. This man had rejected the help and support around him. But that doesn't mean that was always going to be the case. I don't know whether you realise, but it's been worked out that the average person who receives Jesus has already had 17 unique spiritual encounters before. You have no idea where you fit into that and the impact your words are making with someone else. God's far more concerned with your obedience than your impact. This demon-possessed guy apparently had a past, but it didn't seem to bother Jesus. Notice also that this scene gets intense really fast. You never know when you're going to have an opportunity to share, so you better be ready all times. Let's skip over to Luke chapter 8 to see what happens next. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he'd broken his chains and he'd been driven by the demon into solitary places. Now I love that question that the man asked. He said to Jesus, what do you want with me? What do you want with me? Now step into this guy's life if you can for a minute. He fully expects Jesus to say or do something horrible to him. This man expects some kind of torture. Why? Because that's all he's ever known. His experiences with people have probably only ever been bad. The passage said that he was often in change. He didn't put them on himself. Other people did. And he was in a cemetery in amongst the tombs. How unpack that? How significant, how significant is that? He's chained in a cemetery. How more clearly can you communicate outside of killing someone that you wish you were dead 
why don't you just die already? Even more painful is that his family must have allowed this to happen. This guy had nobody. Disgust, isolation, fear, rejection. Oh, and he has several demons inside of him. What do you want with me? He's prepared for the worst. But let's look how Jesus responds. Luke 8 verse 30. Jesus asks him, what is your name? Legion, he replied. Many demons had got into him. What is your name? Jesus wanted to know his name. Notice that this man, he's so overpowered by the demons, he doesn't even know his real name. He just calls himself Legion. Can someone's life seem so hopeless that they forget their identity in God and label themselves ugly, worthless, alone, evil? Watching uh, American Ninja Warrior, there was just one guy that got through the crazy obstacle course and he happened to work for a Catholic church. And they asked him afterwards, how did it feel to have a bunch of priests there rooting for you? He responded, it's a great reminder of who I am. I am loved. Wow, you see, his identity, identity was being loved by others and God. That's why he won, and probably because of his massive biceps. Luke 8, 32, 33. A large herd of pigs were feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd hushed the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. Anything apart from Jesus ultimately leads to death. The man gets to see right in front of him where the voices in his head were heading. The whole time, death. The truth is Satan hates you and has a terrible plan for your life. John 10 verse 10 says, The thief comes to steal kill and destroy but i have come to give you life and life to the full in that culture another name for the water in a lake was the abyss of death so the man asked the question jesus what do you want with me and jesus says i want to know your name and then he goes about and says i want to help you just think about it. Everybody else wants to bind him and keep him away. But Jesus came to free him. He cares infinitely more about the man than the mess he's just created. And it was definitely mess. There was just a herd of pigs drowning. It wasn't somebody's it was somebody's livelihood at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee. But you see, to Jesus, this man's life was a bigger deal. Jesus showed that he cares, even if it's messy, even if it's not the popular decision, or he might get some flack for it. And see, for you and I, that's why I said mission is a choice we make. 
Sometimes the route of mission needs to be a decision that isn't always easy. That takes us away from the everyday things we might be doing and enjoying. That takes us and has a cost involved in taking that route. Sometimes it's our time. Sometimes it's just our money. Sometimes it's just loving people. Luke 8 verses 34-35 says, When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Now remember that this whole scene is with a naked, crazy guy. We would probably run and call the police for indecent exposure. I'm not saying if you're in that situation, you're supposed to go and hug people, but Jesus, Jesus definitely saw him differently. The man didn't have any clothes on, but notice in that verse, now he does. Where do you think he got them from? I'm not sure, but I'm guessing they were from Jesus or one of his disciples. Perhaps they took their outer garment off and wrapped it round the man. He cared about this guy's reputation and how people saw him. What do you want with me? I want to know your name. I want to help you. And finally, I want a relationship with you. As the man sat at Jesus' feet, what do you think they talked about? A great question to ask any time you're reading the Bible and it says they were talking is what do you imagine the conversation was about? I'm just guessing, but don't you think the man somewhere in there probably asked, so who are you and how can I be saved? Remember once reading of uh, one of the revivals, I think it might have been the Welsh revival, where people were knocking at church doors and Christian doors and saying, what must I do to be saved? Luke chapter 8, 36 to 37. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of Gerasene asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got in the boat and left. Now, how crazy is this on a couple of levels? First, the people there were just not ready. Notice Jesus didn't try to reason with them or win an argument. He didn't pull off some miracle and make demons go into them as a punishment. Or he didn't have the pigs fly back out of the water, back onto the land. He just said, okay, and left. Now, here's the even crazier implication. Jesus came all the way to the other side of the lake for this one guy. If you read the passage before this one, you'll find that the disciples almost died in the storm on the way over. Jesus believed that this one demon-possessed guy was worth it. You are worth it. The person you've been working up the nerve 
to start up a spiritual conversation with is worth it. Luke 8, 38 to 39. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told, told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Now at first Jesus' reaction here seems pretty cold, doesn't it? What does this man have in that area? Just a really bad reputation. He walks into town and everyone knows his past. The orphan, now he's caught in a young woman and talked to his dad. Wait, aren't you the guy that used to run around the cemetery like a crazy person with no clothes on? Stay away from my girl. He wants to go with Jesus and Jesus rejects him. Well, that's not quite actually accurate because the actual words were sent him away. Sent him away. This guy had been a Christian for five and a half minutes. He doesn't need more training. Instead, Jesus gives him a mission. He's the clue to our whole uh, direction of service today. Return home and tell how much God has done for you. I take that to mean, go tell your family what has happened today. But you see, instead, he went away above and beyond Jesus' instructions and shared his testimony all over the region. The area was called Decapolis, which is made up of 10 cities that are all together. He went all over the place and told people how much Jesus had done for him. What's my message? It's simple, to share how God's goodness has intersected with my life. What did Jesus do and how has he personally impacted my life? Can you do that? That's the message you're supposed to be ready with. One last thing that's incredibly cool. We read in Mark chapter 7 verse 31. Then Jesus, this is later on in the ministry of Jesus. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of Decapolis. Jesus went, we read in Mark chapter 8, we read the feeding of the 4,000. It happened in the same region. So Jesus goes and tells one guy before they send him away and he comes back a little while later with 4,000 men Probably a crowd of twelve to 15,000, including women and children. What was the difference? Well, there's no other explanation. The former demon-possessed guy. Think for a second what that means. He probably went and shared about Jesus to everyone. He probably shared with the very people who cuffed him in chains and left him to die. Was The message was just to... what. The message. the message was just too good. His past relationship just didn't matter anymore. I don't know how it all went down, but don't you just picture Jesus as he's preaching to those thousands of people. He notices the man and he makes eye contact. And maybe after the crowds have gone home, 
the man sticks around and Jesus wraps him up in a bear hug and says, well done. You have no idea the impact God wants to make through you. Jesus took the craziest, most insecure guy and used him to start a revival. There's no excuses for us, is there really? We can't say, I can't do this. I'm shy. I talk, can't talk with people. This is just not my thing. We are called to share the good news of Jesus, what Jesus has done for us on the cross of Calvary. And it begins by getting to know people's names, by caring for them, by loving them. And then they'll turn to us and say, what must I do to be saved? Let's pray as we finish now. Father, we thank you for this story. We thank you for the incredible way that Jesus could just use the gospel message, the message of salvation, how he could touch people's lives. And so many people were affected. Help us to be like that. Help us just to be such in our lives that we're always on a mission and the mission makes a difference to people around us. Help us to overcome the fears. Help us to overcome our anxiousness. Help us just to be ourselves, the people God has created. Help us to make that decision to go out to other people. How do we mission? How do we tell good news? We just share what God has done for us. Thank you, Father, for today. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you all. Bye for now. Amen.